0: and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reader.
1: If you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Inspired, infallible, inerrant. And if you'll turn in your copies of that word to Romans chapter 1. I'm going to read not the entire section I'm going to preach on, But the section in which the text that I will be preaching on must be embraced in its context. So if you would look with me in Romans 1, I'll pick up at verse 15. So, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things, therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their minds to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies, and the lust to to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades. God's word abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. Seems like a lifetime ago. And then again, it just seems like yesterday. And I will quickly say, if it wasn't a lifetime, it wasn't yesterday, but was tomorrow. I couldn't wait to do it again. About 50 something years ago, I got Cindy and we were at... Rock Hill, South Carolina, at a place called Friedman's Jewelers. The week before, to my astonishment to my, and to my everlasting blessing, she had said yes. <laughs> um, probably the worst decision she ever made in her life, but one of the greatest that's been made that I've benefited from in life. And I thank God for it. But I wanted to seal this deal as quick as I could, so we went down to get the ring. Which I had already taken a look at and already worked on and already told the guy who was a friend of mine um, that uh, if he would have it ready and set it aside, which he did. She came in from uh, college that weekend so that and we slipped over there. We met in Charlotte, and went over there where our friend was, uh, who did the Friedman's Jewelers. It was the name of it. And so we went in there, and he takes the box out, and he opens it, and he puts it in front of her. And I'd already seen it, so I wasn't looking at it that closely, but I was looking at her closely. (laughs) What was she going to do? I was hoping to see some sign of approval as he revealed the ring to her and as he displayed it to her, as he made it manifest to her. And thankfully, I saw the eyes sparkle somewhat. I saw the lips turn up in a smile. And then uh, then came something else. And that is he set the box down on the counter. He reached underneath the counter and he brought out this black velvet cloth and they kind of shook it in front of us. I kind of thought I was about to watch a magic trick. And uh, then he laid it down on the glass counter and uh, as he did, he picked up the ring, took it out of the box, and then put what was already beautiful and manifested and revealed uh, to us. He then placed it on that black velvet, and it just jumped out, uh, and just in ways that even I was amazed. And I was believing the best about that ring I possibly could. And um, and there, there it was displayed and manifested. With that backdrop against it. That's what Paul's doing now. Now, Paul has already opened this epistle for us. We know who wrote it. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. We know where he wrote it. We know when he wrote it. We know why he wrote it. And we know what he is going to write about. It's called the gospel of God. He's already said it five times in verses 1 through 15. The gospel of God. This glorious gospel of God, because it originates by God, it is secured by God, it is applied by God, and is to the praise of the glory of God. And then last week, we looked at what he had to say about this gospel in its five-fold profile. In other words, he took this glorious, wonderful truth of the gospel and he displayed it. Remember the language? I am eager to preach the gospel, for in it... The righteousness of God is revealed. The power of God using the righteousness of God by the grace of God is revealed and displayed. But now he is about to take this glorious jewel of the gospel of grace that revealed in the word. And he's putting it against the backdrop of the bad news. The good news explodes in implication and majesty when you see the backdrop of the bad news. Now we're looking at the wrath of God revealed. The gospel is the grace of God revealed in power using his righteousness. Now we see the very backdrop Of the bad news. In fact, let me give you just a little bit of this overview. We've not only been introduced and uh, to Paul and where and when and how and why he's writing and what he's writing about. But he is now going to unfold this gospel of God in chapters one through three, which is where we embark right now. Beginning at verse 18, he embarks upon us to let us see the desperate need we have for the gospel of God, even though we don't deserve it or want it. In fact, he is going to take us through three chapters that get us to this point. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Then he is going to display for us the provisions of this gospel in chapters four and five, the application of this gospel in chapters six, seven and eight, the implications of this gospel in chapters nine and ten and eleven, and then the glorious life of this gospel in chapters twelve through sixteen. But where we are right now is a passage that I would listen to me, please. I feel not only incompetent, I I feel not only overwhelmed, I feel an unbelievable burden because of the exquisite care that the spirit of God allowed Paul to bring to this issue of the wrath of God revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. You see, if I could take us away from the three chapters that bring us to all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and back to chapter one, before he gets to chapter two to show us how the Gentiles are lost, before he gets to chapter three to show us how the Jews are lost, to say that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In chapter one, he gives us the lostness of sin and its depravity, its debasing, its disillusionment, its deceitfulness. He lays it out. For us in what I call um, the song of death, the song of death in chapter one, verses 18 through 34 that I just read for you. Now, why would I call it the song of death? Because I believe it has three stanzas. You may have noticed. I don't know whether you did or not, but I tried to emphasize it while I was reading. There are two sets of threes. In verses 18 through 20 uh, through 34, Three times the Apostle Paul uses the word exchanges our exchange of God's glory for sin. What we exchange and three times what I believe is the second most horrific word in the Bible. Most of you know what my favorite word in the Bible is, the word, but for for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God caused you to be born again to a living hope. So I love the word, but in the Bible, I believe the most frightening, horrific words in the Bible are these. God gave them. Well, let me put this here is what I believe is the most horrific words of the Bible. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It is irrevocable. It is the final judgment of God that casts unbelievers and impenitent sinners into the very eternal torments of hell. But the second most horrific words to me are this. God gave them up. God gave. Gave them over. God says, All right, my judgment and my wrath, your will be done. I am going to give you over to your rebellion against me with all of its consequences. That wrath is revealed. Can I just give them one more thing then I want to jump into it and then bring us to our takeaway? Brothers and sisters, there's an unbel- not only is this three stanza song of the death spiral of a culture. Now, by the way, where does a culture like this three this death spiral of three exchanges and three times God gives us over in wrath and judgment? Why is it there? It's there inevitably whenever the church gets off mission, off message, and off ministry in that culture, or where the church has not shown up in that culture, because this is the inevitable trajectory of men and women and sin against the Lord the only thing that can stop it is the, traje- the only thing that can stop our deprav our, our trajectory of depravity and debased minds is in fact the grace of god now god's grace comes through two streams god's grace comes through the stream of redeeming grace whereby sinners are transformed and changed by god's grace and that impacts a culture then god's grace comes through common grace and that doesn't transform sinners, but it does retard and restrain sin in society so that we're not as sinful as we would be and could be the salt and light of the witness of the gospel. The light sends the gospel to transform sinners through redeeming grace and salt will restrain sinners in common grace from being as evil as they could be and would be. And when the church begins to be about itself instead of Christ's mission and Christ's message and Christ's ministry and the grace of God is not flowing. Going into the culture through the church on mission, on message, and in ministry, then what happens is, is now sin whose only equivalent, whose only whose only conqueror and victor is grace. Grace is greater than sin. And if we're not putting redeeming grace and common grace into the culture, then sin abounds. And this is the song of abounding sin in its threefold, its three stanzas of, of depravity and in its movement from expressed through sexual promiscuity to sexual perversion to social approval of what ought to be shamed now becomes shamed. Shameless and expanding ex- and, ex- and exalted as the new, dare I say, reset as the new reset. Thus, a culture that now celebrates what it condemned and now condemns what it once celebrated. That's the death spiral song that's there. But where I want you to go now is I want you to go to something where Paul shows such rigorous logic and theology that I've, I've, I'm asking you to kind of gird up your loins of your mind with me just for a moment. I'm not going to go as far as I can go, but I need to go as far as I need to go for you to grasp what Paul clearly wants us to understand where and how do men and women and the cultures they create uh, go into this culture of death and the death spiral? What is the soil that it comes from? What is it that causes the wrath of God to be revealed on this side of eternity? We know the wrath of God at the judgment seat and the other side of eternity. That's not what this text is talking about. This text is talking about the wrath of God that is revealed, not will be revealed. There is the wrath. I find it interesting that in God's providence, I'm preaching on the judgment seat, which is the wrath of God revealed for eternity. And today from Romans one, which is the wrath of God that is revealed in time. The wrath of God in eternity is unmixed. It is unadulterated. It is everlasting It is irrevocable. But there is a wrath of God that is revealed now that gives us the backdrop that you start putting amazing in front of grace when you understand it. When you find out we weren't just helpless and hopeless, we were self-inflicted helpless and hopeless. We embraced hopelessness as if it's hope. We called our impotence strength. We called our foolishness wisdom. That's the soil from which the depravity of a culture and and lives begin to grow. And Paul wants to get this across. So he's using a word that's repeated, I count, ten times with rigor to show us the connecting points that he doesn't want you to miss. There are two revelations, one of God's grace in the gospel and one of God's wrath. Now, I want you to look at the connecting points. If you would, would you take your Bibles and look with me, get them in front of your face so that you can see it beginning in Romans 1 and verse 15. So Paul, after telling you What he's going to talk about, the gospel of God, he now tells you, because this gospel is so glorious, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also in Rome. Paul, why are you eager? Here's your key word. Look for this word. For. Why are you eager? Next verse. For. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul, why are you not ashamed of the gospel? For. The gospel is the power of God. Why is it the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek? Why is the power of God for salvation available for the righteousness of God in the grace of God through Jesus Christ? That righteousness that Christ provides is one that absorbs and removes our sin and provides for us a righteousness that is pure to take us to heaven so we're accept- acceptable. I am eager to preach it because it is the power of God. I am eager to preach it because it, 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 it embraces the righteousness of God not in condemnation but in salvation to everyone who believes. So this for that you that for the righteous shall live by faith. Now watch. Why is the gospel so glorious? So majestic. Why is the grace of God revealed in the gospel which is the power of God that uses the righteousness of God to save sinners to the glory of God? Why is it so glorious? Backdrop. Bad news. Four, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Why is the wrath of God revealed? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven, where? To the earth, is revealed. You know it. You've seen it, didn't you? You've read about the flood. You've read about Sodom and Gomorrah. You've read about the army of Pharaoh, best trained army in the world, drowning in the Red Sea. You have read of all of the declarations of the wrath of God throughout Scripture, Sodom and Gomorrah, the kings of the valley. You have seen time and time again the wrath of God revealed in the Bible in the temporal wrath of God that is mixed with his mercy, unlike the final wrath of God at the judgment seat, that is transformational, that can be transformed, unlike the wrath of God at the judgment seat, which is eternal. You have seen it and you know it is there. The wrath of God is revealed. And the wrath of God is revealed from heaven where upon this earth in time, space and history. What is it revealed against? The wrath of God in this world at this time is God communicating a stake in the ground of his holiness. I will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. The wages of sin is death. It is revealed against all ungodliness And unrighteousness of men. Ungodliness. Living life without reference to God. Because you have determined you are God. Living life without reference to God. Ungodliness. Because God didn't make me. God doesn't sustain me. I am who I am because of who I say I am. And I am God. If I worship, it'll be idolatry because I will make the gods I worship, declaring that I am God. Living life without reference to God and what's the result? Joined to ungodliness is unrighteousness. That is the transgression of the law of God. If I live life in denial of God, I do so by transgressing the law of God, unrighteousness. In fact, look how he says it. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness. Now we get to the core of it. God brings his wrath against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Let me just stop here for a minute. If you're saved today, it's not because God made an exception. If you're saved today, it's because the wrath due against your and mine ungodliness fell somewhere else. It was on Jesus. This is this is inflexible. God is holy. I will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. And the reason we're saved is not because God winked at that. Because God set that aside. But because it went somewhere else. But it is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. We live life without reference to God because we're God. And then that is expressed in our, in our rebellion against God, our unrighteousness. And what is ground zero of all of our sin? We suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Who suppress the truth. That's an interesting word. Wrath is an interesting word. We get the word orgy from it. Or gay. In other words, there is a paroxysm of the passion of God against all sin. And what is the soil of our ungodliness and unrighteousness? Here is where the wrath of God is evoked. We suppress the truth with our unrighteousness, to declare ourselves as God. We are not victims. We are victimizers of ourself. Suppress is an interesting word. It could be translated sit upon. It could be translated incarcerate. We will put the truth in prison and incarcerate it, revealing the imprisonment of our own souls in sin. But what's really interesting is another word. We, it's the word cancel. We seek to cancel the truth. Y'all do know the cancel culture is not new. It has always been here. What do you think happened 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem? The epitome of a canceled culture. Crucify him, who is the way, the truth, and the life. What you and I are being exposed to by Paul is that we are born sinners. And because of our heart, our problem, listen to me, our problem is not our environment. Although we're in a broken environment because of sin, that we produce this environment. Our problem is not the lack of information. Our problem is a heart problem. We incarcerate the truth of God revealed. We cancel it. We suppress it. That's what we do with it. We do our best to deny its existence. We make sure that we declare that it is non-real and therefore it is not to be believed. Our foolishness becomes the truth and God's truth is called foolishness. And our canceling of the truth Our suppression of the truth, our incarceration of the truth. The reason we've got to cancel culture is because we're all born with a cancel heart. You say, Pastor, let me just stop here because I know what's in your mind. Pastor, I didn't cancel the truth. I came to Jesus. That's because Jesus canceled your canceled heart. That's why. Because Jesus canceled your canceled heart, you came to Jesus. Or, let me use his language, you got eyes to see and ears to hear. Instead of the blindness of sin that suppresses the truth. I mean, I hope, to, listen, let me just stop here also for this. I hope somehow the gospel is breaking through to you now is amazing. Not just a little pick me up message from God to, to therapeutically move my life forward. God has done something glorious. God has done something glory that in the midst of his wrath revealed, his grace has been revealed, whereby that wrath was absorbed by someone else, Jesus Christ his son, so that you could be set free from your own cancel culture and be given a heart that loves the truth. Well, here, as you see in this text, we supp- Now, where, what truth are we suppressing? Everyone is suppressing this truth. Now, not everyone has the Bible. So we're not talking necessarily about the Bible. We're talking about truth from God somewhere else. Where is it? We get this word for again. Go with me back to Romans 1. Who suppress the truth, who suppress the truth. And now look at verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been note his language, plain, clearly. It is plain, it is shown by God, it is manifest. Remember what it, I used my language carefully a while ago at the beginning. My friend came out and manifested that diamond, displayed that diamond, revealed that diamond, and God has manifested The glory of his grace in Christ has revealed it, has displayed it. And now it is in the backdrop of the display and the revelation and the manifestation of his wrath against sin. And the fact that we are saved is not that that wrath was not displayed, but that it was not displayed upon us. It was displayed upon Christ to save us who believe. So here is this glorious truth where he says his invisible attribute, the truth is there. Everybody's got it. Pastor, I, 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 let me just quote uh, RC on this one. He said it in one of our classrooms. Uh, well, what happens to the innocent natives? Africa, Asia, South America, Europe, wherever the, you might find it. He said, well, let me tell you where all the, let me tell you where all the innocent, um, innocent natives go. They go to heaven. We've only got one problem. There are no innocent natives. If there were, the last thing we ought to be doing is a faith promise offering for missions. Why bring them under accountability with the preaching of the gospel if they're not already accountable to the truth that's already been revealed? That we do what when we're born in this world? We suppress the truth and unrighteousness because this truth has already been revealed in us, made in the image of God and before us through the creation. You were here earlier, weren't you, for the confession, Psalm 19 where we declared day after day, night after night, His speech is heard, His speech unfolds, His speech is shouted from the stars, from the intricacies of a leaf, through all of those things, God in His glory is displayed in the creation, and the invisible God is made visible by His truth revealed in creation that He is displayed in front of us, so that we are without excuse. How many times has someone come up to me thinking that they're encouraging me by telling me they're not an atheist, that they're an agnostic? I'm not encouraged. Oh, I'm going to pray and I'm going to minister and everything, but that's not encouraging because we kind of use agnosticism as a, well, I just want you to know I'm not an atheist. I actually, well, first of all, agnosticism is just dishonest atheism. But here's the second thing. I think agnosticism, which is basically saying I haven't made a decision because I don't have enough information, is telling God you're a liar. Because God says the information's there. Your problem is not a lack of information. Your problem is you're canceling it. You're sitting on it. You're incarcerating it. Professing to be wise, you're becoming a fool instead of seeing the glory of God, who is spirit in all of his majesty through what he has made. You have decided to take what he has made and use it and try to say you are God. And therefore, we begin to move into what I would call a self-inflicted journey, sophisticated journey. Into insanity and imbecility. It is the fool has said there is no God. It makes no sense. Folks, I tried to be an atheist. I I just didn't have enough faith. I wanted to be one. In college, I was contrarian enough as a firstborn finding his own way. And my sins were so obvious I wanted to accommodate them with a doctrine of atheism. But I couldn't. It just, I couldn't bring myself to it. I mean, I saw the creation. There has to be a creator. I may not be surrendered to him as Lord and Savior, but I couldn't deny the fact that there's a creator. I could not bring myself to intellectual suicide. I could not bring myself to that sophisticated journey into imbecility, professing to be wise, you become fools. I just couldn't do it. Listen, I saw a creation, there had to be a creator. I saw order, there had to be an orderer. I saw the laws that God had put in his creation. There had to be a lawgiver. I mean, look here. I got a thumb right now. I'm down to a band-aid. Praise the Lord. What, three weeks ago, cut it off. They sewed it back on, uh, and we've been working on it. I went and got my stitches out. I will not praise the Lord for what I got on Friday, but I thank the Lord that's done. I will thank the Lord for that. And then, um, but I I remember, I'm just sitting, I'm not, when he looked, I was so glad he didn't say, oops. (laughs) I'm glad he said, pink. Good. This is good. We're on our move. We're on our way. But do you know that wasn't a miraculous thing? I mean, not miraculous, but it's a great special act of God's providence that that could be done. But do you know what had to happen within less than one second for me not to die and bleed to death when that happened? Twenty seven different things had to happen in the right order within less than a second for me not to die. Do you know the thirty six things that had to happen in the next three days for me not to die of an infection? Now, where did those laws come from? Well, Harry, they evolved. Well, if if those twenty seven things evolved that had to happen in one second, would you tell me what happened to everybody who didn't have them while they were evolving? I mean, that just makes no sense. These things had to evolve. Twenty seven things that happened within a second. Well, how are they going to evolve when people are dying from the fact that they're not there? That is that is that is insanity. When I look at the laws of God in creation, I know there's a lawgiver. When I see order, when I see beauty, I know there's one who put beauty in it and put in me the ability to perceive the beauty. I saw it this week. I saw it today. We had it, we had today at eight o'clock what was actually the Briarwood Sunrise Service this morning. That's what happens when you change time. And Spring Forward is uh, now a Sunrise Service. And so as I came here and Cindy and I were just looking at the blossoms of all these trees and, uh, you know, the cherry trees and the pear trees and the this tree and that tree and the red buds and and the sun just shining on them. And how beautiful And the sunset. How beautiful folks. The animal world doesn't do that. You do that because God made you in his image. That's why you do that. That's why you can appreciate beauty. Now, will you make it about you or will you give glory to God? Will you suppress the truth in unrighteousness and ungodliness or will you worship him? The God of glory. We are born with a heart that is devoted to suppressing the truth that God has revealed in creation that is all around us. And that is in us, you know, right over here a while ago with the with the covenant child of the brands. I, when I'm discipling couples, I let them know. Remember something: baptism doesn't save. Secondly, you don't parent from uh, you don't parent to try to get God's gracious promise. You parent from God having given you a gracious providence. And I said, now there's two other things. I got some bad news and I got some good news. The bad news, they, you heard them in the vow, right? Did you hear my opening vow to them? Do you acknowledge that your child is in need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? Why do we We say that because our children are born sinners. They're dead in their sins. They're helpless and they're hopeless. But let me tell you something else. They're born knowing there's a God. You don't meet five-year-old atheists. You have to work at it. You have to embrace the sophisticated journey to imbecility and insanity. Right up there in northern Alabama. Just go up there. Go to the church where Helen Keller was a member, go to her house and read about how Miss Sullivan took this woman who could not see, who could not hear, who could not speak and taught her how to communicate. Why could she do that? And why did she bother doing that? You don't bother doing that with a dog. Well, maybe a dog, but not a cat. You don't do that with a cat. Why would they, why would she do that? Because she knew that she was made in the image of God and God communicates. Therefore, those who are made in his image can communicate. Now, how do we find it? And finally, it was sign language in the feeling hand of a palm. And one of the first words after getting across the word water, one of the first words that she put into her palm was the word God. And Helen Keller said, who? And she told her and she said, oh, she spelt back in her hand, I already knew him. I just didn't yet have a name for him. What we are born is out of our sinfulness, we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We incarcerate it. We cancel it. And we want to remove it. That's what we want to do in moments like that. But the fact is, and the truth is, nothing doesn't make something. And nothing doesn't make something that says to itself, let's divide. And nothing doesn't make something that says to itself, let's divide and reproduce. And then order ourselves to complexity. No. You leave things uh, alone, they don't order into complexity. They disorder into oblivion. That's exactly the imbecility that we would accept in order to say, I'm God. And there is no God. That's what we do. Folks, listen, I'm just just this simple. I got a watch. I know there's a watchmaker. I'm just this simple. If I'm walking through a field, I see a post and I see a turtle on top of that post. I know I'm not the first one walking through that field. The evidence calls for the verdict. But in our sinfulness, we suppress it and cancel it. That's the backdrop of the grace of God revealed. The wrath of God revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And please join me next. Well, I'm not sure when I'm getting to it. Easter's coming. But please join me when we get to part two. The number one expression of saying no to truth suppression and truth hunger is worship. That's how, you know, when people have been redeemed instead of idolatry, there is Latria, the praise of the most high God. Well, let me just give you the takeaway and I'll close in prayer. The heart of the problem is not the lack of information. The heart of the problem is not the lack of of um, of environment. The heart of the problem is our problem that we have with our sin-producing and truth-suppressing heart. The heart of the problem is the problem with our heart that produces sin because it suppresses the truth that God has revealed to all of humanity. God's wrath is against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So therefore, because of our heart... It calls for the wrath of God upon us. But here's the good news. The gospel reveals God's wrath has been revealed against our ungodliness and our unrighteousness at the cross upon Christ, who became our sin and endured God's wrath, revealing God's grace to save All those who believe, you know, listen, I'll I'll close in prayer with this. But the greatest expression of the wrath of God revealed is not Sodom and Gomorrah is not Pharaoh's army drowning in the Red Sea. The greatest is, is not at the foot of Mount Sinai. the greatest expression of our cancel culture and God's grace to save us from the incarceration and suppression and cynical denial of truth from our heart is Calvary. There, where men and women would cancel the Son of God And believe the lie of Satan. There was God canceling the cancel culture. It was there that Jesus goes to the cross. And becomes our sin. And God's wrath is revealed against all of our ungodliness and unrighteousness upon Christ. Who drank the cup of wrath to the bottom and said, it's finished. It's finished. And there Jesus canceled. God's wrath against us. And set us free by the spirit of God who canceled our heart suppressing life. By giving us a new heart, that we would come to him with eyes to see and ears to hear. In other words, the gospel reveals God's wrath has been revealed at the cross upon Christ who became our sin and endured God's wrath so that he reveals God's grace to save us from our sins. And then he sends his spirit who would cancel our canceling heart, who would who would remove our suppression, suppressing heart. So that now, instead of suppressing truth and incarcerating it and canceling it to show our our souls in their prison, we have now been set free. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And the evidence is now we love the truth. Listen. Uh, 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Tonight I'm going to be speaking of the wrath of God at the judgment. That you can only escape by going to Calvary where the wrath of God fell upon Christ for your sins. In that day, do you know what people are going to say at the judgment? They're going to call upon mountains to fall on them. They would rather be buried alive with a mountain than to face the wrath of God. Jesus faced it. On Mount Calvary, so that you and I could be taken to the new heavens and new earth and Mount Zion, that we could have everlasting life in Him. And that truth will set you free. And those who are free hunger for that truth. In fact, Jesus says, The mark in the last days of my people will be their love of the truth to the end. Let's pray. Father, take us to truth lovers away from being truth suppressors. Take us to truth emancipation instead of truth cancellation. Take us by your spirit. To the glories of the grace revealed where the wrath of God has been revealed against our sin at the cross. So that we are set free and there's no condemnation but life forevermore. I'm going to just close in prayer. But today if you're here and you've not come to Christ. Christ brought you here. Christ brought you here, not simply to see the witness of truth in creation, but to hear the witness of saving truth from a pulpit. Do not suppress the truth. Do not put it in prison. Let it free you. From the prison of sins, shame and condemnation in Christ, you now are forgiven. And the new life in Christ. You have been set free. If you would like to pray with someone. If you would like to talk with someone. Please see me. Please see some one of the pastors at the back. We long for you. To be set free. Where the spirit of God is. There is liberty. Where the truth is. There is freedom. Where Jesus is. You are free indeed. Father, I thank you for this glorious truth. And I thank you because of the wrath of God revealed. The grace of God is magnified. And so we are eager and unashamed to proclaim it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader. Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.